long ago, my son said to me, Mom, we haven't spent very much time together. We need to have a mother-son date. He's 18. At this point, he was 17. Well, when you can imagine when he says this to me, I'm looking around. Me? Are you talking to me? He was talking to me. And, and I just started thinking, like, does, I wonder if he wants something. I mean, this is, the, this is my thought process. Are there some new sneakers he's wanting me to buy for him? And so I say, sure, you know, do you want your girlfriend Lainey to go with us? Because, you know, I still can't believe he'd want to spend time just with me. And he said, no, Mom, I want to spend time just with you. I know. I, I really couldn't. I, I had a hard time accepting it. Finally, I thought, well, maybe he loves me. <laughs> like, maybe he just wants to spend time with me because he loves me. Um, who do you who do you want to be with just because you love them? Yeah. Oh yeah, we did. We've we've done a few things together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. no, he didn't. He didn't. He genuinely just wanted to be with me. There's no punchline. He just wanted to be with me, um, and it sets us up for us thinking about the way that God wants to be with us. So the question I'm asking you guys is. Who do you love to be with simply because you love them? Who is it that you love being with? And also, who knows, who is that person on the other side? Like, who wants to be with you because they know you love them? Um, One of the definitions of joy that I've learned in recent years is that we're glad to be together. That's joy that you're glad to be with someone. Um, And for God, that's us. It brings God joy to be with us. And you know what? God had to work really hard to be with humanity, right? And this week we looked at, there's seven chapters in the book of Exodus that we looked at um, that, that God had to prepare to, be, to dwell with a sinful people because he really wanted to be with us. How do you know that someone is happy to be with you? Where do you see it? They just want to be with you. Yeah. How do you know someone wants... Where, where do you see it on their... Physically? Yeah. You see it on their face. You see it on their face when they want to be with you. And um, one of my favorite reminders of God's posture toward humanity is at the end of our services, you know, when we have the blessing and we lift our hands out. And typically nine out of ten times we quote the priestly blessing in number six. Listen, Listen to this. It says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. That's also translated smile, smile upon you. So every Sunday when we have that blessing, I just kind of tilt my head up and I just take it in that God is smiling at me 
and that his face is shining upon me. And it reminds me, God wants to be with me. God wants to be with us. We're going to start um, this evening with a table discussion. I want you to just talk around your table. Who do you love to be with? What is your response to the idea that God wants to be with you? And then lastly, as you prepared your lesson for this week, what stood out as you read the assigned scripture and did the reflection questions? So I'll give you about 10 minutes to have this first table discussion. Was that enough time? Okay. All right, great, great. All right, let's get started again then. So in this week's lesson, we read a lot about how the tabernacle was designed, about how God made the lead. Okay, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting, I'm starting. Sorry. Okay. I'll start over here. Okay. Um, So in this week's lesson, we talked a lot about how the tabernacle was designed, about how God made the Levite tribe, the priestly tribe, all the priestly garments, the furniture, all of the, the ways that God designed those to function. And the bottom line is that God did all of that because he wants to dwell with his people. He wanted to dwell with them. Why? It's real simple. He loves humanity. Because he loves us. But the Israelites were not prepared. They were not prepared to live under God's lordship. They weren't prepared to live in his presence yet. They aren't prepared yet to inherit the promised land. They don't know who God is. They don't understand the law yet. They don't understand the culture yet. Um, And God's going to have to teach them. He's going to have to teach them how to be his people. So remember, they've been in Egypt for 400 years. And their faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has weakened. Too many generations have passed. So honestly, it seems like they don't know who God is anymore. And they don't know how to be his people. So we're going to see from Exodus through Leviticus through Numbers, we're going to see how God continues to teach them how to relate to him, okay? Exodus 3.13 says, But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? So this verse kind of shows us that they don't, They don't really know who God is anymore. So tonight, here are our objectives. We're going to explore the preparations that God made, that God asked Moses to make to establish the tabernacle and priesthood in order that he could dwell with his people. We're going to explore what we learn about God's revelation of his character when the Israelites break the covenant. They had just been given the law. In Exodus 19, they, they had just said, we will, we will obey. We'll do what you're asking us to do. And then they mess up just immediately. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, so we're going to look at how God revealed his character to them through that. 
And then we're going to discuss how Jesus is our high priest and how we are his royal priesthood. And then this is the bottom line for tonight. And remember, we're, we're thinking about the big redemptive story here. God makes a way to dwell with his people until he dwells within his people. So that's our bottom line for tonight. By the way, that word um, dwell in Hebrew, does anybody know what that word means? Tabernacle. That word literally means tabernacle. So God wants to tabernacle with his people. Um, When was the last time that God dwelt with his people? The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is the last time that God dwelt with his people. And in the Garden of Eden, he had fellowship with Adam and Eve. this 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 divine space of heaven and earth overlap. So if, if I were to take these paper plates, this one representing, hev- representing heaven, this one representing earth, there was an overlap of these two spaces where God and humanity dwelt together. But then what happened? The fall and sin. And so these spaces were separated. Okay? God is not dwelling with mankind at this point. But now we see God is preparing to dwell with man again. He's creating a space where this divine overlap can take place. So God met with Moses on Mount Sinai, and he gave him the blueprint to how to create this tabernacle where God could dwell again with his people. And it was quite detailed, wasn't it? Yeah, it was quite detailed. And that's because it is a representation of the tabernacle in heaven. So he had to create it to God's design. And here's a picture of the tabernacle, also called sometimes the tent of meeting, sometimes called the sanctuary. And you can see that it was in the middle of, of the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's, they say it was about the size of half of a football field. And God is going to dwell, you can see in the back, in the Holy of Holies. I have one more slide here. And this is the inside. You see there's a gate, a door, and a veil. And you can see the furniture, the different furniture um, that is in the tabernacle. So God gave Moses very specific designs for the furniture, for the tabernacle, and also for the priestly garments. What did you learn? What are some of the things that you learned about the tabernacle? Say that again. A lot of gold. That's right, a lot of gold. Where did they get that gold? Do y'all remember the Egyptians when they asked their neighbors to give them those things. What else did you learn, Dave? Mm-hmm. Very good. 
satisfied. Yeah, did y'all hear that? The same word is, which word, the word for the top of the art, yeah, is propitiation, which is basically means the satisfaction of God's wrath. Yeah. Good, I didn't know that. That's great. What else did you learn about the tabernacle? What else stood out to you about the tabernacle? Mm. The size of the lamp stands. Mm-hmm. Six feet tall. Yep. Mm-hmm. I came across something interesting, and I didn't put it in my teaching because I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's. I I could I can't prove it's true. I'd never heard it before. But I saw that they said that the entrance gate was called the way, the door was called the truth, and the veil was called the life. And that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, there was significance here with the tabernacle. Has anyone ever heard that before? Yeah. Okay, they have to set the showbread up first. Can y'all hear in the back? Okay. They set the showbread. In John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Right. Then they have to set up the lamp. The lampstand. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. So much symbolism. Did you notice all the symbolism with the tabernacle? Mm-hmm. Very good. So, of course, I'll get my paper plates out again. And... So, where heaven and earth are going to overlap again, and they're, it's going to overlap just a, just a little bit here, is on top of the Ark of the Covenant, this is called the mercy seat or the atonement cover, and this is where the Lord's presence, this is where God's present, presence is going to dwell again with his people. Um, it's behind the veil in the Holy of Holies at the center of the camp. And on the Day of Atonement, that's the only day that the high priest goes in and offers sacrifice for the people. So, yeah. Why do you guys think that these angels, these cherubim, they're not angels, they're cherubim, are facing each other like this? Mm-hmm. Like they're, gar- like they're guardians of this holy space, right? 
And uh, does it remind you of anything with a garden? Right, to guard the garden, yeah. So they're guardians. They're guarding these holy spaces. Um, but yeah, that's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And right on top, um, that's the mercy seat. That's where God will dwell with his people. Anything else about the tabernacle before we move on to the priestly garments? Can you? Mm-hmm. The tree of life, yes. So what, Kathy, let me say, repeat it, cause make sure everybody hears what you're saying so far. The menorah, the lampstand, had a lot of symbolism that take you back to the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, right? Seven candles, perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so much symbolism, it's amazing. Um, I didn't even have time to study to study it all. Um, then God gave Moses a detailed description of the priestly garments and purity rituals and ordination service for the priesthood. Did anything stand out to you about the priestly garments? Yeah, very ornate, very specific, very specific. Um, I really liked how, I'm going to read it from Exodus actually, Exodus 28. I really love the way that there was inscription in the stones. Um, Let me read this. Exodus 28 verse 21 says, Each stone will represent one of the twelve sons of Israel, and the name of that tribe will be engraved on it like a seal. And then verse... 29 says, in this way, Aaron will carry the names of the tribes of Israel on the sacred chest piece over his heart when he goes into the holy place. This will be a continual reminder that he represents the people when he comes before the Lord. So I really love the way that he remembers what he's doing for the people. Um, Anything else? Okay. Okay. Mm. Okay. We're about to talk about that. I don't know, John. I can't. I don't know. God has a plan, and sometimes we don't understand it, do we? (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yeah. So while Moses was up on Mount Sinai um, receiving the law or talking to the Lord, getting these blueprints for the tabernacle and, and all this stuff, the Israelites were forming a golden calf because they were going to give this golden calf the glory for rescuing them from Egypt, right? And I'm really mad at myself that I didn't bring my golden calf. I have a golden calf, and I left it over in W23. I'll have to go get it eventually. But they went back to their old ways, right? Remember, they're from... They're, they're from polytheistic culture, and they're used to having multiple gods worshipped around them. So what did they do? They went back to their, to their, to their natural way of, of worshipping. Mm-hmm. 
instead of waiting for the God who loves them and wants to dwell with them and has a message for them, they formed a golden calf. Um, question, have you ever started a diet and you said, I'm not going to eat any carbs or sugar? And then before you know it, you've eaten a piece of bread. <laughs> Has that ever happened to anyone else here? Yeah, Today. <laughs> that was when you had hope. Yeah, that's true. You don't even do it now. Um, what about like you say, I'm not going to yell at my children or something like that. Like, and then before you know it, you've done it. One, one more, last one. Or you decide, I'm not going to get that caramel ma- macchiato with oat milk and chocolate drizzle because I'm going to save money this month. And then before you know it, your car is in the coffee shop drive through right? It's really easy to forget. It's hard to remember. It's easy to forget. And we are creatures of habit. And we go back to our <coughs> habits. Um, and the Israelites are surrounded by a polytheistic culture, and the worship of multiple gods is what comes natural to them. Um, and they've been in these cultures that create these little figurines. Have you ever been in a museum and gone to the section where you see all of the, the little idols and little statues of, yeah, in, the, in the ancient areas? Yeah, it's very much a part of that culture. Um, and so it makes sense why God made the first and second commandment about having no gods before him and about creating no carved images of him in stone. Because... Who represents God's image to the world? We do. He created us in his image. Yeah, exactly. So the Israelites are super forgetful. God calls them a stiff-necked, rebellious people, and merging their beliefs with the beliefs and the culture around them is going to continue to be something that they struggle with. Right? They just It's a struggle for them to stay devoted to Yahweh and to trust him and you know what it's a struggle for us it's just our struggle is more modern right what would you guys say are the idols that our culture turns to cell phones phones? that came really quick (laughs) money power sports yeah sports (laughs) that's an idol Anything else? What are the idols of our culture? What do, you, what do you personally think about, you know, your own walk with Christ and think about when you gave your life to him? What was it that you had a hard time not turning back to? You don't have to share that one out loud. But think about, what do I do? When, you know what I think about myself? What do I do when I'm fearful? What do I turn to? What do I, for me, it's what do I turn to when I'm fearful or when I'm bored? That usually reveals some kind of an idol in my heart. Um, so we, we have our idols too. It just, it just looks different than it did at that time. Okay, we're going to do our next group discussion. Um, I've got some passages here that you're going to read. First, you're going to read Exodus 32, 7 to 16. What do you notice about the interaction between God and Moses and how Moses re- reasons with God? And the second is read Exodus 34, 5 to 6. This verse comes right after the golden calf situation. What does this verse teach you about God? And does this affect the way you have viewed God in the Old Testament? So I'll give you about seven minutes to have this discussion. Okay. I, got, I went and got the golden calf.
I rescued this from a closet clean out a few years ago because I just had a feeling one day we'd need it. And yes, that day is today. <laughs> no, seriously. This, yeah, this was something that we used years ago in children's ministry. And just to represent how it seems kind of strange to bow down to something like this, doesn't it? It's just hard to understand that, that kind of a culture, which is so different um, than, what we, than what we experience. But okay, what did you notice about the interaction between God and Moses and the way that Moses reasoned with God? Yep, Moses reminded God of the covenant he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yep, his promises to them. Yeah, anything else? That's right, that's right. His appeal had to do with God's character, not the people, because they there's not really a way to defend that, right? Yeah, very good, very good. Okay. God is immutable, which means God doesn't change. His character doesn't change, but he does act differently in different, like he acts according to the situation is what I'm trying to say. His character is not, does not change. But basically what you see here is that Moses is an advocate for the Israelites. He is like a mediator with God. So God does respond to the current situation in his character is I guess the way I would the way I would word that. Yeah. So God doesn't change, but we know that, you know, there are situations for example Jonah and Nineveh and we won't go into it too too much because we need to stay on topic, but we know with Jonah and Nineveh when the Ninevites repented, God did change what he was going to do based on the, the, new, the new situation. So, yeah, that's a good question. I don't if, if Moses hadn't intervened, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. That's a good question. Yeah, he, would have, yeah he, he has a promise. Like the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jake, uh, Jacob was unconditional. So that promise stands even if they don't keep their part of the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant stands um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a reason that we pray. And, and now Jesus is our mediator, right? He is our advocate. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, what about the second question? What does this verse teach you about God? Let's read, let's read this verse. Right, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point, David. Thank you. Um, and then later on, you know, basically Moses is, is experiencing God understanding what's happening at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And Moses is advocating for the 
for the people. But then what happens when Moses goes down and sees it for himself? He flips out. <laughs> like his anger burns, right? Oh, that's interesting. I thought, I thought that was really interesting. Kevin? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, good point. Mm. Yeah, oh, yeah, good point. Very good. He has matured so much. Wow. Um, even in the rebellion... We see this beautiful thing. We see God revealing his mercy. Moses appealed to God in his anger to not destroy them, to stay faithful to the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And on page 71 of our study guide, the author says, Moses clearly understands that if God does not go with them, Israel's history has come to an end. And, and here's the verse that we're one of the verses that we're talking about that reveals God's character to us. It says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generation. So through this situation, God proclaims who he is, his character to the Israelites. And Moses asked God to show him his glory. And maybe Moses expected that God would show him his power, his omnipotence. But what God show, chose to show him is his love and his compassion. So God is just as loving and compassionate in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. Um, but those who don't trust him will experience his judgment. He is both at the same time. God is fully loving. He is fully just at the same time. Right? And where do we see that most beautifully displayed? Where do we see God's love and his justice most beautifully displayed? On the cross. On the cross. Yeah, very good. So God forgave them for the golden calf. And the Israelites built the temple and they followed the designs that God had given them. 
They did a great job with the priestly garments, the rituals. It's a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Um, God gave Moses this design. And then we see in Leviticus, so next week we're going to see how now all the rituals, everything is actually utilized and executed. Um, You know, the ceremonial cleansing, the burnt offerings, the ordination ceremony, these are all executed to God's design. Um, This is kind of a rabbit trail, and we won't spend but literally one paragraph on it. But has anybody ever read this book called, um, oh, no, Unto These Diseases or something like that? You ever heard of this book? Have you heard of it, David? Um, I read it, like, I mean, probably 15 years ago. Correct me if I'm not representing it correctly. And I'm not saying go read the book because, to be honest, I read it so long ago, I don't even know if I'd recommend it. But something I read in that book just stuck with me. It was talking about the ceremonial cleansing, all of the the ritualistic cleansing, you know, for a person to go from the outer court to the holy place. And um, it was saying that God, that was not only for just the representation of the purification of sin, the symbolism there, but it also was to keep this nation alive. It was like God had a plan for this nation to survive. And at some point in history, um, it was noticed that Jewish mothers giving birth lived at such a higher rate than non-Jewish mothers giving birth. And they finally realized it was because Jewish doctors were washing their hands between the, d- the different deliveries. And non-Jewish um, doctors were not washing their hands. They were delivering a baby and then delivering a baby. And that the birth, the, the death of those babies was a lot higher. And it was just interesting. I'm sorry. That's just a rabbit trail. Um, the death of the mother, yes, you got it right. I was wrong about that. You're right. The doctor has to give us the correct answer. Yeah, it's the, it was, you're right. It was the mothers that were dying, not the babies. Um, question, where do we see Jesus? Remember, we're always looking to where we are in the redemptive plan. Where do we see Jesus where we currently are in the Scripture? Jesus is the unblemished, sacrificial lamb, right? Very good. David, you said Moses in Moses. Yeah. He is the ultimate mediator. (laughs) Yeah. Forgive them. Very good. Nice. Very good. Um, Yeah, I mean, definitely we see him in all of the symbolism of the tabernacle, um, and of course, um, we know that all of these preparations, um, and all these systems that are put in place are temporary, right? They're temporary, just a step in God's redemptive plan. They're a shadow of what God's up to. So the sacrifices of animals can't really atone for our sins. The grain offerings, the burnt offerings, the fellowship offerings, the purification offerings, The guilt offerings are only a temporary symbol of what God is unfolding in his plan to redeem humanity. And only the perfect sacrifice um, of Jesus 
can atone for our sin and purify us. But God is setting up this, this system so that we understand when the Messiah comes what it means for him to be the perfect sacrifice. Um, and it's this idea of substitutionary atonement where Jesus dies in our place, right? So the sacrificial system helps us understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. And that the shedding of his blood is truly the only thing that can truly atone for our sins. And we also read um, John 1, 10 to 14 about God making his home with us. So God became one of us. We know that he is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Many of you have heard the word incarnation, and that means the act of being made flesh. Um, so you've, you've probably heard people say that God moved into the neighborhood. He became one of us. Have any of you ever listened to Paul Harvey's The Man and the Birds? I think that is such a beautiful like story that helps you understand the incarnation. I'm going to encourage you to Google Paul Harvey, The Man and the Birds. I love it so much. It's just such a beautiful story. So thinking about Christ's work and where we see Jesus in this, um, after the work of Christ, now where does God dwell? He, he dwells within us. So we see the overlap. So, you know, we said in the garden it was a, a complete overlap. Then there was a separation with sin. Then at the mercy seat, there's a, a small overlap. But after the work of Christ, those of us who know him and are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, there's, there's a greater overlap. And then, of course, we know that one day when Jesus returns and we the new heavens and the new earth are established, we'll have that full overlap again. There's, by the way, a Bible project video called Heaven and Earth that explains this just beautifully. If you want to, I'll put it in the email this week, actually. So the garden, sin, the tabernacle, the work, the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwelling believers, and then the restoration. Yeah. So for your last exercise tonight, I want you to take the scripture on your table. You'll see, you'll see some handouts. So we're going to be looking at Jesus as our high priest. So I want each person to take one handout, and we have some extra in the back. If you didn't get one, if I didn't put enough on your table, just raise your hand and I'll bring you one. But what I want you to do is I want you to circle, underline what you learn about Jesus as our high priest. So work individually at first. I'll bring you one. So at first, work individually, and then table leaders, after everyone has had a chance to read that scripture and underline and circle, then share with your table what you learn about Jesus as our high priest. And raise your hand if you need a, a document. Okay. What did you guys learn about Jesus as our high priest? And if you don't mind, when you share sharing loudly um, so that everybody can hear. Let's share together so we learn from each other. But when you share, if you don't mind trying to kind of be a little louder, 
That'd be awesome. What did you guys learn from those passages about Jesus as our high priest? He's the perfect high priest. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. His priesthood lasts forever. Say that again. He's entered heaven. Yep. He doesn't. Yes, he was the sacrifice. One sacrifice forever, right? He's the high priest forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's right. Forever. Yep. He's yep. If he was here on earth, he wouldn't even be a priest. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. He sat down at the place of honor because his work is finished. The great media- mediator. Right. Yeah. That's right. His work is continues, right? Great. He was chosen by God. Anything else? Mm. Yeah, he knows what it feels like to be a human, doesn't he? He knows what it feels like. Yeah. Mm, he's as a high priest, he's in charge of God's whole house. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Okay. I'm a little extra dizzy tonight. I apologize. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me tonight. Okay. I know what's wrong with me. It's that medicine. It's the medicine I'm on. Yes. But like you said, it was kind of a rope around his foot. Because they knew if he his belly stopped making the noise and he struck dead, then even if he had that issue. They had to pull they had have y'all heard that? They had to pull the high priest out. That's right. Yeah, nobody you're right. Yeah. I've heard that too. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. We have access to our high priest twenty four seven. Good, good, very good. Mm, we can approach boldly. Right. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. We didn't really even talk about the symbolism of the veil, did we? What does the veil represent? It, all, it, it represents his body, too, that was broken. Remember, at his death, the veil ripped. Yeah, but you're right. We can approach boldly. Yeah, because of the work of Christ. All of this is because of the work of Christ. Um. 
right? Yeah. You say it was 80-70. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, when Rome um, defeated Jer- in Jer- Jerusalem, yeah. You know, I'm really bummed did, that we're having to cancel our Israel trip. I mean, I think you probably assume that. Postpone. Thank you. That's right. We're postponing it. But um, having just been there in April, yeah, and seeing, you know, we went underground to see the temple, the foundation of the temple. It was fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Um, So 2 Peter calls us, we know Jesus is the high priest, but we're called living stones that make up the temple with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. So he's our high priest, and we are called the royal priesthood, okay? So let's read this scripture. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Um, I have, so, you know, oftentimes we think, uh, oftentimes we think of, our identity in Christ individually, like when we accept Christ and we're redeemed and now we, are, we belong to God and we're his, one of his children. But I don't know that we think as much about our group identity. We're a royal priesthood. We actually have a group identity. Um, and I want to show you this video. It's about five minutes long and this is the end. We'll watch this video, and then I'll have you guys kind of share what you notice about the video, and then that'll pretty much conclude the evening. But I really love this video because it talks about us as a royal priesthood. And again, I just think this concept of having this group identity is not something we think a ton about. So... Wait a minute, let me rewind that. Can y'all hear this? I'm going to turn it up once I... ...produces humanity as God's royal priests, ruling with God in Eden, a place full of life and abundance. Okay, I tell you what, just somebody, if you don't mind coming over here and pushing this, Joanne, do you mind pushing that little play button, but I'm going to go turn the volume up real quick. I'll tell you when to go. Okay. Produces humanity as God's royal priests, ruling with God in Eden, a place full of life and abundance and God's blessing. But humanity was deceived by evil and then exiled from Eden. And so humans forfeited their calling as the royal priesthood. But God promised that one of their descendants would be an even better priest who will defeat evil and intervene on their behalf to restore the blessings of Eden. 
This descendant would be a royal priest like Melchizedek that Abraham met in Jerusalem, and also like Moses and the priestly figure he saw on Mount Sinai. This descendant will also be like David and the priest king that David called my Lord in Psalm 110. And all of these figures lead us to Jesus, the ultimate royal priest who suffered and died for a failed humanity so that they could be restored to their original calling as royal priests. About a month after the resurrection of Jesus, his disciples see him ascend into the skies. Yeah, this was the fulfillment of Israel's hopes and of the story of Jesus. He was exalted into the heavenly temple of God's presence and installed there as the cosmic royal priest. Now, Jesus also told his followers to wait for God's presence to come and guide them into the future. And so during Pentecost, a festival in Jerusalem, God's spirit comes down on them like they're each mini temples who are filled with God's presence. Mini temples? Yeah, just like God took up residence in the tabernacle and later the temple, now God dwells among the followers of Jesus and their bodies are the temple. The apostle Peter, who was there that day, later put it this way, you all are living stones built up as a spiritual house. You all are a royal priesthood. So they are all together God's temple. And they're also the priests, reclaiming that lost calling that God gave humanity to represent him and to rule the world on his behalf. The spirit is restoring the life and blessing of Eden to the people of Jesus. But these people aren't priests. They're merchants and fishermen, soldiers and slaves, tax collectors and the poor. They work in the world and not in temples. And yet they talked and behaved as if they were priests. They believed Jesus was the cosmic royal priest ruling all of heaven and earth as his temple and they saw themselves as an extension of Jesus here on earth. That is the body of the Messiah. That's a beautiful image, but what does it actually look like? Well, if you went to the temple in Jerusalem, you would hear the priestly choirs singing poetry that honored God and that told the story of his love. Music was a bridge between heaven and earth. Also, the followers of Jesus started writing and singing new songs about Jesus as part of their priestly calling. Right. Priests also surrendered everything over to God through their sacrifices. And so followers of Jesus started giving themselves their time and their money and energy to serve those in need. And they said, these are the sacrifices that bring pleasure to God. Priests also intercede on behalf of others through blessings and prayers, advocating for the needs of everyone. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Paul called on the Christians living in Rome to all together offer their bodies as one single living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Yeah, Jesus offered his life in the ultimate act of love. And so they too were to surrender themselves to each other and to those who needed their help. This is the royal priesthood, Jesus style. When people imitate Jesus, the royal priest, they become a new humanity, living in a way that reunites heaven and earth. Exactly. And now you can see how the whole Bible is one unified story about a royal priestly humanity that lost its way. But then how God promised to raise up a priest who would give his life to restore us. And then how the stories of Abraham and Moses and David all point forward to a promised priest king. And how this all led to Jesus, our great high priest, who suffered on our behalf to restore us to our calling. And so this is why on the final pages of the Bible, there's a vision of a renewed and reunited heaven and earth 
with humans serving and ruling as God's royal priests forever. Anything stand out to you about that video? the church right yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 we are the church we are the royal priesthood um do we still offer sacrifices what is our sacrifice <laughs> ourselves yeah ourselves like romans 12 1 to 2 um we're the sacrifice vicky Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. We're the temple, right? We are part of the temple. Kevin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. There is. You can see the stones, at, and they're huge. They're huge. You can. Yeah. 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 Right. The temple was the center of their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's all of us together. Serving in our gifting. That's part of, of how we serve as the royal priesthood. We use our spiritual gifts. We serve in those, in, with those gifts. Um, and yeah, you're right. It takes all of us working together to, to be that, that temple. Um, yeah, so we're serving him with our gifts, which, by the way, unity. That's a very important part of being the royal priesthood. And we don't have time, but I would encourage you to read Ephesians 4. That's one of my favorite passages that talks about um, living in unity as a body of believers. Um, Very important. And yeah, we represent God to the world as well as a royal priesthood. What Kevin, when you were talking, the thing I was also thinking about is how much more rich the scripture is when we can understand the culture. And I think that's probably something that I want to have more time 
to do is really as I read Scripture and interpret Scripture to really dig deeper into the culture and to understand um, those things that help it come alive and help me understand what is the original author saying to the, to the original audience and, and how so many times we read Scripture and interpret it like it's written to a 2024 American. You know, so that's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's true. Yeah. It, I mean, we take, yeah, we take Scripture out of context a lot, don't we? We studied that in our Encountering God Through Scripture course this past summer, which, by the way, we're putting on Right Now Media. We almost have it ready so that if you want to take that course, eventually uh, Academy will have courses in person, and then we will have courses through Right Now Media that you can take as well. Um, so we, you know, this part of our Academy dream um, anything anybody wants to share as a takeaway before we conclude the evening? We covered a lot of material tonight. Next week, hopefully Lisa will be here to teach us um, week eight, and then we'll have one more week, and then we will take our break and come back January 17th. So I do want to just encourage you, we love to receive feedback. We're going to try to get a survey together, but to tell you the truth, with all that I have going on right now, that might be a dream that we can't get together before the end of Academy. Um, but always love to hear your feedback because, again, we're really trying to create a learning community where we are all leaving on Wednesday night feeling like we have really um, learned a lot about the Scripture and especially for this course about God's redemptive plan for humanity, for the world. Um, okay, if there's nothing else, I will pray for us, and we will see you guys next week. Father, just, just to think about the fact that you want to be with us, that you want to dwell with us, that you love us, that you love humanity so much um, that you provided Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that that would never be something that we take for granted, that it would always be something that, um, that as we reflect on it, we feel your love for us, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your, your compassion. Thank you for what you taught us tonight about um, the tabernacle, um, about the fulfillment of so many things in Christ, Lord, and how we as a royal priesthood, um, how we live um, a life of sacrifice for you, being you to the world, uh, serving you in the church, and serving you outside of the church as well. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And um, just bring us back next week. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>